Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's good? What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Hogshaven Podcast, powered by SB Nation. You can find us at Hogshaven.com, at Hogshaven on Twitter and on Facebook. I am your host, Molly Maul. Jamal Force, you can find me on Twitter at Let Maul Tell It. Do not forget to you. You know why we're here today. You know why we are here today. Them boys that went up to MetLife and tied against the New York Giants. We back, we right back where we started before the game got kicked off. <laughs> seven five and one against the uh, seven four and one New York Giants in two weeks. Uh, possibly seven five and one. Who knows how they played? How the New York Giants play next week? But um, yes, Washington uh, enters the bye with a tie. Uh, in their first of two matchups, back-to-back matchups against the New York Giants. Um, I'm going to just flat out say it and start with this. Washington played not lose. Um, this was a game that was very much winnable. Um, and, and and for um, balance perspective, uh, very much winnable on both sides of the, the, the ball for New York and for Washington. Um, and when you look at how this game unfolded, um, you know, you, you thought that Washington would have started off cruising to a to a, a solid victory with a ten nothing start, and then that's where the ebbs and flows of a football game kicked in. Washington in going down uh to thirteen, um in a game where again ten nothing that's a twenty to, that's a twenty to ten swing, um for the New York Giants in favor of the New York Giants. It was really an offense, in my opinion, for the New York uh, side of the ball, where you're like, hey, is Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, and nobody else? If we're going to win this, we're going to win this off the back of Saquon, Daniel, and nobody else. Oh, and by the way, Daniel, if all else fails, just heave it down, down the field to that boy, Darius Slayton, and see what he can do with the football. And they got big plays from Darius Slayton. One big play from Darius Slayton in particular um, that led to the touchdown in the second quarter. Uh, and on, on Christian Holmes, by the way, who ultimately did lose his job in the field, uh, replaced by Danny Johnson. I mean, then also had an opportunity – at the end of the game, after Washington went up twenty to excuse out of the ball game at uh, at twenty, uh, Darius Slayton has a, a play where he's wide open down the field, and Lord knows who was him or what happened, but he's wide open. And shout out to Darius Slayton, who has a, a a one of the league's highest drop percentages in the NFL. I didn't know that until today, um, but shout out to you. Uh, and he ends up dropping a pass. And, and Washington survives on that drive and gets another opportunity to, to win the game in regulation, right? Um, but 
Yeah, it was really a Daniel Jones and Saquon show. I mean, look, on on the ground game, 31 carries, 134 yards. There was only two people who had carries and touches. Daniel Jones, Saquon. Daniel Jones went for 13 carries, 71 yards. Saquon, 18 for 63. Daniel Jones went 25 and 31 in the pass game, 200 yards, one touchdown. Um, it's a, a conservative approach uh, from the the pass game standpoint, uh, but. That was neither here or there. The main thing was how they were able to accumulate yardage in that first half, primarily, and that second, the the first drive out of that second, uh, second half, uh, is is basically establishing that ground game, um, and finding ways to move the ball in in certain instances uh, when they really needed it. Um, it was spurts. Um, and shout out to the defense because initially you're talking about a, a a team in Daniel Jones and, and and Saquon where they were really attacking the edges. They were finding ways in the middle of the defense as well. They had their moments where they can pick and choose how they wanted to attack Washington's defense. Um, There was instances where they weren't able to contain Daniel Jones and uh, that allowed him for some easy scrambles. Um, I know out of that half, Daniel Jones accounted for four first downs with his legs in that first half. They had 12 first downs in the first half and and four of those were converted by Daniel Jones with his legs. Um, But they ended up getting their act together in that second half, right? And I think that's the makings of, like, I, I was hesitant when I said this um, or when I was thinking of a way to say it. So I want to preface this by saying I don't think this is a championship defense, championship level defense, but they are a very good unit. Um, You're talking about, again, when they went down 20 to 13, the defense buckled up. Um, And it doesn't help that they had a short field to defend in the first place, right, that ultimately led to them trailing 20 to 13. But at the end of the day, it happened. And Washington does not allow a point after that. And I believe they forced punts every outside of the the very last um, the very last scoring drive or very last possession, excuse me, for the Giants, which was the missed field goal. They forced a punt every single drive following that touchdown, that five play, 20 yard touchdown drive for the Giants that put them up 20 to 13. So what does that mean as we discuss this game, right? This offense continues to get in the way of this team. We understand that they have an identity, right? Ron Rivera talked about it. Uh, Players in the offense talked about it. They know what their identity is. They want to establish the ground game, right? They want to uh, turn as much clock as they can. I remember at one point, in that second half, after those two, so uh, if you all don't remember, Washington had two drives, two big drives in that second, that second half, specifically that third quarter, where they went for, they had two drives that were, let me double check here. Um, Let me double check. 11 play drive and a 12 play drive. 12 play drive ended up in a six yard, six minute, 12 plays in a missed field goal. And then there was an 11 play, eight minute punt. 12 play, six minute missed field goal, 11 play, eight minute punt. I remember the last, I don't remember the last time I seen a two double digit, two consecutive double digit drives that took up five plus minutes off the clock and ended up in zero points. That is not acceptable. Um, in no way, shape, or form. Um, even in that that second half for a long time, uh, you're talking about an offense in the Commanders who had, um, I believe, uh, let me go ahead and find that. 
Um, they had third and 13 twice, a third and 21 twi- uh, once. And then in the fumble coming out of the second half, you had a third and eight. All third and long situations for Washington. And, and we always ask if this if this game or this type of way that they were playing were sustainable. And I think this doesn't – this like the way they played today does not equal un, unsustainable, right? Because the way they bounced back on several occasions, they were able to get the drives going with a good mix of a run back, a run pass balance, right? But then when you have turnovers from, excuse me, not turnovers, but when you have uh, penalties from Logan Thomas, two two penalties on one drive, that hurts your offense. Um, And then you have some key sacks that ultimately gets you out of uh, situations or gets you out of scoring range or, or messes up the flow of your offense. Um, That gets you in trouble as well. So you have to find a way moving forward to eliminate that stuff. But the issue is we've been saying that for a long time. This offense continues to get in its own way. Um, and there has only been anomalies this season in which Washington has been able to establish things on the ground uh, and establish things offensively altogether. So that is all important when you take things into context about how this offense has been moving. Sure, Brian Robinson and that offense is clearly – been able to find some success um and 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 they've been able to stick to the ground game throughout this uh seven or eight game stretch now right but ultimately you get yourself in trouble um when you're faced with those those unmanageable third downs and not being able to 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 have success in the red zone and that brings us back to that first half and not just that second half where you have a turnover Right off the very first drive, Washington gives you a short field, and you're able to get down the field. And I think that Scott Turner called he he dialed it up on that drive, man. And I, I love the way that they were able to manipulate the eyes of the defenders and, and have that misdirection flow uh, in the in the run game and, and get Brian Robinson out on space in the edge. Uh, excuse me, out in space on the edge situation is, and I really think that Brian Robinson thought like he had an opportunity to score, I believe. And I think Brian Robinson thought he stepped out of bounds and did not continue to press upfield on the sideline. I truly think that. And 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 that was an opportunity where you could have said, could he have scored? You never know because he didn't try. And in the play right before that, you have Taylor Heineke overthrowing Logan Thomas. Like, I, I don't know who Logan is to Taylor. Like, does he think that uh, Logan is 10 feet tall? And I don't even think if he was 10 feet tall, he was able to catch that. I don't know how you overthrow somebody that tall. Um, but ultimately, that drive, when you settle for field goals after your defense steals a possession for you, um, now you find yourself down 20 to 13 in a situation where if you scored that seven, it's 20 to 17, and you don't have to go four drives to try and score a touchdown to tie it up. You just need a field goal. Yeah, I just think... Going back to my original point, I think that this was a, a, a team who, when when they had moments to try and win it for themselves, uh, they tried not to, and and they tried not to lose. They didn't want to have that game losing play. I don't think it was the fact that they didn't trust Taylor. I think this is the conservative nature of, of Ron Rivera and company. Um, for instance, you're talking about that second, or excuse me, that first half two minute drill for the New York Giants. I I truly think that. Um, how how do you even how do you even say that? Like if they didn't, it, so when Saquon Barkley lost four yards, 
with a minute left on the clock um, and you don't call a timeout, when you have three timeouts left on the board, um, you, you hurt yourself. And at that point, because you don't call a timeout, right, New York can do what they want. And if they settle for a field goal and because you didn't want to call a timeout and give your offense a chance to get the ball back, then that's on you as a head coach. Uh, and, and, but again, you, you force, you, you end up getting in a third and 10 situation with 30 seconds left. Uh, and, and you end up allowing the first down because Cam Curl <laughs> tries to, tries to, uh, strip the receiver in the ta- and the receiver breaks the tackle for a first down conversion. Um, but my point in terms of that, that clock situation, I'm not even mad that he handled it that way. I'm not mad. I just disagree with his approach. I, dis- I disagree with his philosophy um, and how he approaches two-minute situations with this team. And, again, like I'm saying, he didn't do anything wrong. I just don't agree with his approach. And, and what ultimately what you're saying is if you if you take that first timeout when Saquon loses the, those uh, four yards on first down and you're faced with a second and ten, you have a third or you have a second and 14 with two timeouts left and a minute on the clock. You don't know where that's going to take you. And you keep calling your timeouts until you get the ball back. And you have a chance to seal some points at the end of the uh, at the end of the half. The second time where you're talking about somebody not trying to win is how you perform in, in overtime. Now, granted, um, Washington was in a situation where uh, that offense for Washington was faced with a third and nine in New York territory, and you run a screen where all you're saying is if we get some positive plays on this drive. We're in we're in no man's land right now. We just need a two th- two to three yards, and we're still going for it. We're keeping our offense on the field. You get absolutely no yards in that situation. You're forced to punt. Okay, cool. That's not the clock management that I'm talking about, or the game management that I'm talking about. But when you get the ball back, and you realize that this is probably your last drive of the game, and you're saying after everything that you went through this game, sure. I understand your approach. You don't want to give up a you don't want to lose the ball. I mean lose the game this leap into overtime. You're playing, you want to play for a tie. But how about trying to trust your offense in a third and nine situation, third and ten situation, and try and get the first down? Just at the end of regulation, you had to score, you had to go 90 yards to score a touchdown. You had to go 90 yards and score a touchdown. So when did things change in overtime where you're in the same situation in third and 10 and you want to run the ball and kick a and, and kick a punt back to New York and say, I want to play for the tie. Ron Rivera played for the tie in a situation where that gave New York good field position regardless. With 20 or 30-something seconds left, they still are in good position to get in field goal range. So what is the what is the where's the harm in trying to pass for a first down on third and long when you just plan on running it and putting it anyway? I just don't get it. Again, I I I am not mad. I just disagree with the philosophy. I just explained what he wanted to do. He was playing for he was playing for the tie at that point and he didn't want to risk anything. So okay 
leave it alone. But at the end of the day, I disagree with his approach. I disagree with his philosophy. It is a conservative approach. Ron Rivera has always been a conservative coach, uh, or so, or or so he has shown in Washington. And you just have to understand how he's going to play things when clock management is, is on the line and, and two minute situations are on the line as well. That's just who he is. Um, and you got to live with that. So ultimately, in the big moments, you hope that Ron understood what he was doing, like from a awareness standpoint. And you just hope that, you know, he can live with those decisions that he makes. And I'm sure that he will. But I, I really think that playing for the win was the appropriate response. I don't think he chose to do that. Offensively, we understood the issue with this team um, from a larger standpoint. It is the quarterback position. You're not getting much out of it. Um, statistically, Taylor Heineke went 27 for 41, 275 yards, two touchdowns, um, five sacks, no turnovers in terms of interceptions. Did have a strip sack. Um, Taylor, even after that game winning drive, almost blew it for Washington. He had two picks or two throws that sh- that could have been could have easily been picks. One meaning one being a pick six that Taylor, Terry McLaurin saved him on, right? Um, but in terms of getting this offense moving, I, you just trying to figure out, like, is this that moment where you're heading into the bye week and you're saying, I trust I trust Carson Wentz more than I trust Taylor Heineke at this point from a coaching perspective. You can ask yourself, too, are you keeping Taylor Heineke in or Carson Wentz or moving on with Carson Wentz? Um, I answer this question by telling you I am going to out or I'm going to look at both quarterbacks, and I'm going to look at their cons, not their pros. I'm going to look at their cons because I don't think both of them are, are that good. Of course, they have different strengths, um, right? And, and it is what it is. But what are their cons? And if you can survive and afford to move on with Carson Wentz in the type of offense that you are playing now, granted, Tyler Lawson has just been lost again. And who knows for how long this time? Right. But Tyler Larson was very solid and he stabilized that that middle of the uh, the offense for you. But now you're back with scare one. And that may change things. But outside of that, you have some stability at guard and tackle. Your three receivers are there. Jahan Dotson is back. You have your tight end position healthy. Armani Rogers is gone. But I mean, shoot, y'all didn't use him enough anyway. Now you got Brian Robinson back. He's been good. He's been ascending in your offense. You have all of these opportunities offensively to establish that ground game, to continue doing what you were doing with Taylor Heineke, but now you have a better arm in Carson Wentz in terms of what he can provide down the field. And he also has more time now in your offense where he he could have been studying the playbook and trying to provide himself more of a, a competitive edge by studying that playbook in that time he was gone from the field. What has he learned? Again, let's get back to the point. I would out. I would go and compare the cons. We understand that Taylor Heineke's arm is limited. We understand that he is not seeing the field right occasionally in, or, or half the time. <laughs> I mean, a one-to-one touchdown to interception ratio, it is what it is, right? He's going to have turnover-worthy throws and and damn near every single game for random spurts of the game. But both quarterbacks are, are, 
or volatile. Carson Wentz doesn't have that big of a feel for the pocket, but can you survive that in this in this instance? We're talking about Taylor Heineke can evade right here. He, he got sacked five times. He only had two carries for six yards. So for all this worth and trying to understand that Taylor Heineke is more mobile than Carson Wentz, he wasn't able to do anything in this game from a mobility standpoint. Now, I do take that back in the sense of like he can escape the pocket and and buy himself time, i.e. that fourth down uh, to, to Curtis Samuel in that fourth quarter where he can uh, buy himself time to the very end and Curtis Samuel worked himself to get open, right? Similar to what he did against Indianapolis. He can do that. Um, do you trust Carson Wentz to do that same thing? Who knows? Um, but inside the pocket himself, you're not going to ask him. He's not a statue. I don't believe the statue part, but I just think that he has no sense or feel um, in the pocket, uh, and that's what gets him in trouble. He'll he'll drive himself into some sex. That doesn't mean statue. That just means he has no sense. <laughs> There's no football instincts there. <laughs> um and I, I exaggerated. I don't want to make you all think that I think he has zero football instincts. It's just limited. So you have to outweigh the. You have to look at the cons of both players because the pros, uh, they aren't that great for neither one. So you just have to figure out where you want to go from there. And 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 to be honest with you, like you got to think this offense, man. Um, the way that this defense responded, forcing, uh, I think it was. Let's even look at the numbers. Let's look at the numbers. Um, end of quarter two. So they forced the defense after that touchdown where they went up 20 to 13, the Giants did. They forced one, two, three, four, five, six, six straight punts, six straight possessions for uh, the Giants ended in a punt. And of those six straight possessions that ended in a punt, um, Washington had one score. So you just have to understand and take all these things into context. This running game is is okay right now. Like you still find a way to to win the turnover. I mean, excuse me, the time of possession battle. Um, by 13 minutes this game, 41 to 28. How can how can you respond, or how how is it uh, that Carson Wentz will look in this exact same offense if he's given the opportunity to go around? He has a bye week, and, and I, I truthfully I think like. As as much as many people love to say, you know, players play for Taylor Heineke, players love Taylor Heineke. Um, I think that's true. And, and I don't think – and, of course, he has the locker room. But I think that part in itself has a locker room. Um, I, like, the more I sit on it, the more I dwell on it, I don't think that that is um, a, a, a knock on Carson. Like, I don't think that – Taylor is, has such a strong hold or strong grip on this locker room that if a quarterback change was made, everybody's attitude or approach to this season would just dwindle away. Like, you never forget that John, and Allen, John Allen said some time ago, like, he doesn't even know how Washington continues to win with Taylor Heineke. If that ain't the indictment on Taylor, like, in a, a lighthearted way, I don't know what is. So you have to take these into consideration. I don't think that the the locker room thing is 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 as big of a a, a, a knock on Carson than, than people would like to believe or it won't drastically change the emotions or the production of this this team in my opinion so all of that has to be taken into account I believe when you when you have that switch like is it going to drastically impact it I don't think so 
I think that they will be perfectly fine if they decided to switch at the quarterback position. Um, and I think Ron is probably in a position where he knows that too. Statistically, you'll look at Carson and say, I mean, excuse me, Taylor and say, okay, he didn't have any interceptions today, but don't let the stats fool you. Like, you know, if you watch this game, what he did for your team, he did some good, right? And I'll give him some credit. Again, I talked about the fourth down, so we're not going to repeat that. And that last drive, all in itself, eight plays, 90 yards, touchdown to Jahan Dotson, who is finally back involved with this team. Five receptions, 54 yards, um, the tie, the game, the game tying touchdown. Um, and I'm not criticizing Jahan. I'm criticizing this offense. There was no reason why he should have had three targets in four games since he was back. He had nine targets a day, five catches, and a touchdown. Um, and an overthrow, mind you. <laughs> he got overthrown. Um, but yeah, it, 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 and again, like I said, he did some good. Taylor did um, that touchdown to Terry McLaurin in the first in the first half. Um, you're facing that pressure that uh, uh, Martin Dale loves to run. Um, the zero pressure, the disguised looks, and he's able to avoid the pressure on the right side, Cornelius Lucas side, and able to avoid that and 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 and, and gives yourself an opportunity just getting the ball in, in Terry's vicinity, and uh, he's able to make a great play on the ball, catching it with one hand, <laughs> and then putting a move on Baby Moreau, taking it to the house for a touchdown. He does he he's calm under pressure at times, um, or excuse me, especially on third downs and on fourth downs. It's kind of where, like, those pressure moments stand out. But ultimately, on the day, uh, you go 3 or 14 on third down as a whole from an offensive standpoint. Um, that is losing football. That is losing football. And this is not the only time in which it's happened for this team under Taylor. Um, and it was no better under Carson. So when you kind of look at these pros and cons, like, people only look at the quarterback position. But what does the production look like on the offense? Carson can hand the ball off. <laughs> he can hand the ball off. Carson can go 3 or 14, just like Taylor Heineke in this offense. Like, it's no different. It's, it's really not a, a, a huge difference from production-wise from one quarterback to another. They're just average, um, mediocre, excuse me, mediocre players. And um, you just got to outweigh those or, or look at the cons and see what's good and what's bad, man. Uh, another thing from the offense perspective, um, I, I do like how Washington was able to commit to that ground game. Um, and and as I continue to push that narrative and understand, like, we, they do have an identity on that side of the ball. Um, you know, you, you were kind of concerned about how they were going to attack that defense, especially with Trevor, Trevor Lawrence, Dexter, <laughs> Dexter Lawrence and uh, Leonard Williams up front. Um, and Dexter Lawrence definitely had himself some plays, some key plays that he made uh, in the trenches, dominating the offensive line at times, um, even beating a couple double teams up front. Um, you know, you never stop straying away from who you think your offense is. And that ultimately led to Washington uh, accumulating nearly 160 ground, 160 yards on the ground. Um, and Brian Robinson having nearly a, another 100-yard day. Brian Robinson had 96 96 yards. Washington's offense, 36 carries, 165 yards on the ground, four and a half yards a pop. That's a good ball. And you were able to mix in your, your three best rushers, Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson, Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel had a huge 21-yard carry. I think that was the overtime run, if not on, 
Matter of fact, let me double check just to make sure. But I think it was the overtime run that ultimately set them up in um Giants Giants excuse me Giants territory, where they ultimately ended up facing that third and um third and nine. So or third and ten. So. I just love how they were able to stick with the ground game. But what does that mean when you're talking about from a macro perspective, this Giants and Washington playoff race in Seattle, I guess, in that same thing. It's good ball in one in one moment and good aspects, but you need better from that quarterback play. And you have another week and some change to evaluate um, how you're going to attack this defense, the Giants defense, but also how you're going to defend Daniel Jones on the other side, too. You got to get it right. You can't lose to the New York Giants. I think somebody asked me when I did the Trapper Dive live stream, like he's new to football. So how do people feel about a tie or a draw? And um, in 2016, we all remember the Cincinnati Washington game. I felt confused. I didn't know what I was supposed to feel like. I didn't like the feeling. This week, I was I was relieved. Because as I started off the show, I said what? I think that this game could have went both ways. Washington could have lost it, but Washington should have won. I'm like, oh, my goodness. A tie is the next best best case slash unpredicted situation or scenario that, that could have worked out for Washington. Right? Um, this This is one where you're looking at how things played out, and you're saying – you know that Washington could not have lost to New York. I said that that was the title of my of the podcast um, last week. Washington could not afford to lose to New York. And tying them just gives you another opportunity in two weeks uh, to, to stay in the race. But you can't lose to them there. You have to beat them. You have to win. Next game against the New York Giants is a must win. And you got to see how uh, your team responds, and you got to figure out something at the quarterback position. Because if you decide to stay with Carts, I mean, excuse me, Taylor Heineke, that is fine. But you have to get more out of him. You got to get more out of that passing offense. Hey, this cover zero stuff, these pressures that um, the Giants have ran is not unfamiliar territory for this team. Like it has happened throughout this year, but the the issue is. It's only been one time that Washington this year was able to handle it uh, properly. But for the most part, they failed. The biggest ones being um, against the the Detroit Lions in that second game. You should have had way more um, exposures at this point to know how you were going to counter those pressures. And um, if you set your protections, like they said in the in the game broadcast, like you obviously. Like the way they disguise up front for the Giants, you have to understand and get it right the first time. You can't afford to allow a free man to the quarterback. And at times it did hurt. Um, it did pay it did pay off for, for New York. Matter of fact, in that that overtime where they were pinned deep, a Kayvon Thibodeau gets a sack. And that hurts Washington. But um ultimately again when you talk about these pressures and how they're able to handle these disguised looks and, and cover zeros and cover ones where you have like five or six or, or maybe even seven people at the line of scrimmage. Um, they haven't really been too successful with Carson in there or or Taylor. And and that clearly is obviously a Scott Turner thing. Like, how do you approach that? Um, and they tried to they tried to several things. Um, work in the middle of the field, um, and even doing the slant. I mean, excuse me, not the slants, but the 
the screen passes. Um, you popped off one big screen screen pass, but you probably failed on two or three of them, if I remember right. So that's that's about it on this episode, man. Um, yes, it's 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 not pretty. This isn't a pretty game. Uh, Brian Robinson had a solid day. Uh, Terry McLaurin had a solid day. Curtis Samuel had a solid day. Jahan Dotson, solid days for the opportunities they were granted. Um, defensively, um, everything, like the way that they started out that first half, specifically that second quarter, was not good. Um, but they were able to rebound in that second half. Um, we talked about it, the way they were able to force uh, six consecutive punts after giving up that seventh um, or that 20th point for the New York Giants. Jonathan Allen had a big day. Uh, obviously, Deron Payne had a big day hitting uh, two sacks today. Um, Jack Del Rio had some well-timed blisses to get that offense of the New York Giants under wraps. And, um, so shout out to Jack Del Rio and his performance in the second half. Um, they, they really bounced back, but uh, I, I, I think that for the most part, when you head into this next game, you can't afford to um, get hit with these gashed runs or these gashed plays that the Giants hit you with in this game. Like, you have two weeks to prepare for it, right? Uh, offensively, from the offensive perspective, you have two weeks to, to come out on fire and maintain it. Uh, I'm not sitting here saying that you got to be perfect. But you got to find a way to sustain some drives um, and sustain some drives and put up some points more than 20. Told you all that Washington was going to win 20 to 17 and <laughs> it didn't work out that way, <laughs> unfortunately, right? Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how things unfold moving forward throughout this week um, uh, with some injuries as well. Uh, but, but this was a game that Washington easily could have won or lost. Uh, depending on what side of the coin you were on. So y'all take it easy. We'll be back later this week with a couple guests. Um, And yeah, be safe, man. Peace.